athletes and friends, welcome to the Woven Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Nick, and this is my co-host. What's up, everyone? It's Stevie. And we are here to champion the athlete's mental game before, during, and after their athletic careers and performances. So let's jump in. Woven Athlete community, what is happening? Nick and Stevie back with you. Whoop, whoop. It's been a week and it feels like it's been too long. It does. Breaks are good, but I'm definitely ready to be back. We're ready to be back and we are jumping into a new series. We talked about this in our last episode, 22, I believe. Uh, we're jumping into a series called Overcomers. This series is talking about through drugs, alcohol, and violence, we can prevail. Uh, it's awesome to hear story from people who have been through the hard knocks of life, yeah. circumstances, situations that are just intense. And uh, for any athletes and mental health and mental performance, we have this side of the spectrum of yeah. people that have been through this side of life and they show up to the finish line ready to go or maybe missing something because it wasn't there growing up right and you guys are in for such an awesome time here i brought on a good friend of mine uh an elite spartan racer seeking to become a pro endurance athlete he was in the military for 21 years and yeah. just retired at the age of 42. he's a successful business owner he has hot rods the guy is incredible matt quinlan yeah. The bearded, white bearded legend. If you've seen him at any race or venue, he's pretty easy to spot out. Yeah. But Stevie, he shares a radical story today. He does. He gets really, really vulnerable and just honest with his story. So we do want to forewarn you that the series we're going into, it is about, um, like Nick said, just people who've been through some pretty tough stories um drugs violence alcohol so we get into his story and he's just very vulnerable he's so kind um and he comes from a really rough rough childhood and so he shares of gangs he shares of abuse he shares of neglect of um situations that no child should ever be um Around. subject to yeah so just do know he does not use we do not use any foul language in the episode but the stories in of in and of themselves just know if you have little ears um listening yeah that we get real yeah and that's what we want to do yeah and you would never know uh meeting this guy i encourage you to he's an incredible guy he's a friend of mine um and you would never know that someone would walk through something like yeah. this in life so um we encourage you to listen uh please share this with someone uh in your friend circle in your life uh that you think would just really be encouraged by this type of series uh and the topics that we're diving into and as always before we jump in please uh remember to rate and like uh this podcast because every time you do that that helps us just get bumped up closer when people look up mental health and mental performance on podcast shows yep. so that being said let's do it Matt Quinlan, how you doing today, brother? Good. How are you? We are. We're hanging in there. We're... I'm excited to meet you finally, Matt. <laughs> right. She, well, she's heard a lot about you. Uh, oh, she, no. She's heard a lot. Oh, oh no. Trust me. I, no, whole, all good things. All good, all good things. things. All good things. Because I was 
crying and complaining like a little <laughs> baby on the way home. This guy with a white beard beat me in a race. <laughs> 400 years old. <laughs> it was Moses. Oh, man. Game of it's, Thrones beat me. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's funny because I, I think the beard, it, it adds some age and maybe some wisdom to my appearance, but I keep getting people coming up and telling me how inspiring it is to see me on the podium. Oh, and, wow. and I just want to. How do you take that? How do you receive that? Uh, it's fine. It's, <laughs> it, it's actually good. If, if, if for some reason I look uh, older and it does inspire people, that's good. Uh, I don't like that I inspire people because they think I'm too old to be doing this. <laughs> but it is what it is. I'm not, okay. Okay. Yeah, okay go ahead, say, go here's the thing. You don't look old. Like if you take the gray beard away, you look young. It's it's <laughs> you got this mask. I know, but right? I love this beard though. You you guys don't know. Yeah, right. Uh, it's magnificent. It's kind of, it, <laughs> We're looking for a word. Superhero effect of you. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I had a guy running an age group with me, and uh, I I raced age group in Big Bear last year, mm-hmm. and I I won, and the guy coming in third, he comes running in, he's out of breath, and he goes how old are you? Because in age group, you don't know who you, oh, all the 40 to 50, 60 year olds were all mixed in. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, um, 42, whatever it was. And he's like, Oh, you're the same age as me. I thought you were older. The guy was genuinely more happy that he came in third than getting beat by somebody that was in their fifties. And I was like, that's, that's a bad place to be when you're happy that you just lost. But he was. Oh my gosh, that's epic. Well, you guys have heard, uh, if you guys have followed me on Instagram or seen any of my performance stuff, uh, Matt was one of the guys that I raced and we had such a good time out in Monterey a few months back. And so ever since then, uh, we, we talked actually at the race, Matt, you and I talked at the race for like, I don't know, it was probably like an hour, honestly, like we just started talking about life and and you were roasting me, but like in a funny way. And whenever someone roasts me, it's kind of like a love language. And you kind of just start roasting me right away. And I was like, oh, this guy's cool. I got to like, I got to listen to what he has to say. You know, it's like a, like a cool thing. So, but we had such good conversation and to the point where I had to, like, I couldn't stop thinking about, man, your story and what you've done in your life. I got to, I want, I want to learn more about you, man. I want to learn and hear about just your life experience and everything. So, dude. Super fun. Good time. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. It was uh it, it was cool. I was a little bit nervous going from um age group to elite because there's such high camaraderie in the age group. Uh, yeah, everybody's cool, everybody prays at the starting line. I don't know if you've seen that. Um oh, wow. Yeah. If you haven't, you gotta look fast Eddie. If if nobody takes the lead, fast Eddie does, but the whole front line of the 40 and 50 year olds, everybody's on their knees praying before every race. Um oh, it's cool. really yeah. And even fast Eddie, sometimes he'll, he'll pick people, make them pray. So like he put me on the spot before and he's like, get it Quinlan. And I was like, Oh, all right, man. Wow. And I was a little That's bit nervous. Cool. Yeah. Super cool. Uh, it's inspiring. And I was a little bit nervous going to elite because I was like, I don't know if that same camaraderie is there. It's not going to be the same. And you were since Monterey, uh, I've run into some really cool people and they really are uh, Matt rock. Very yep. cool guy. Like, um, I've reached out to him a couple of times on Instagram in, in Seattle last year. 
And he always treated me like I was part of the team, even though I was coming in 10th place, he, he acted like I was one of the guys. So really cool guy. Yeah. And then I, and then you were, um, right after that, the next time that I, I had raced the elite and had an elite, you know, racer, uh, yeah. come up and just have conversation and kind of made me feel a little bit more, uh, welcome and at home in the, uh, sure. elite fields. So yeah, I enjoyed I it too. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, Something I really said cool. sparked a flame because he whipped my tail the next day, man. <laughs> 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 now, nah, man. Uh, you're awesome, dude. We want to jump into uh, kind of what we what we started for a series uh, for this month. The month of September is a series called Overcomers. And we want to dive deep, man. This is uh, we're taking a step and a turn into what we'd call people have made it through the school of hard knocks. And obviously, that's a term that some people know, some people don't, uh, you know, as you and I would define it would probably even be different, um, you know in my understanding of School of Hard Knocks is just someone who's been through some really rough patches in life and have graduated from it, who have made it through that sector. Um, I don't know how you would, how would you would define School of Hard Knocks, man? Graduating from the School of Hard Knocks, dude, how would you define that? Yeah, uh, no, I think you're, you're, you're on the right road. What's, what's funny is growing up, I never would have thought of that as myself. But now that I'm a dad and I look at my kids and where we're at, I look back at my life and, um, and, uh, and I want to make it clear, uh, I've got buddies that never made it out. Right. I've got buddies that are still hooked on drugs and I don't know that I know anybody that, that really made it out of that life. Like everybody is, they're still in the same place. They're on drugs in and out of prison and things like that. So there's people that definitely had it worst off. And, uh, I think I was fortunate to, um, I mean, obviously we're, we'll get into it a little bit, but I think I had some opportunities pop out at me that other people didn't. And, um, but going through it, I never considered myself unfortunate or, or going through hard times. Like mm. when you're a kid and you're in it, that's literally just the life that you're in. That's it's life. normal. Yeah. But looking back at some of the stuff, I just go, no, oh, that's, that's, not, that's not normal. <laughs> that's not right. Yeah. So, yeah. But as a kid, you truly don't know that's, all you know is what you're growing up in and what you've been taught. If someone were to tell you the color blue is purple, all you would know is that the color blue is purple uh, until you realize that you were taught wrong. Um, and that's essentially what I hear you saying is, is you didn't realize that you were being uh, experiencing things that were not. <laughs> no, not at all. Never, uh, okay. never felt sorry for myself. Never thought like, Oh, other kids got it better. I just, uh, the other kids were living a pipe dream that I just didn't consider real. It just wasn't, you know, people in a nice, I, I thought uh, trailer parks and apartments were nice. When somebody had an apartment, I was like, oh man, you live in an apartment? Wow. <laughs> Falling. And so yeah. uh, mm -hmm. it's kind of funny looking back, but it was normal for, for us. Yeah. yeah. So the series Overcomers, really we're talking about, you know, the abuse of drugs, alcohol, violence, um, all those things and how we people have prevailed through them. And so, um, Matt, when you and I were talking, you really did, you could you took me back to some, some highlight moments of you growing up where you've had to make it through some pretty big, uh, decisions in life and confronting things. But, you know, before we even jump into that, uh, it was really cool getting to read some of your bio, um, yeah. but take us through just like, even 
you know, as you start approaching that middle school age of life, um, kind of what things were you already facing and kind of having to make big decisions on as a 12 year old? Yeah. So, uh, so at 12, um, already the, my parents were split and everything. And, uh, um, my brother had moved off to live with my mom and she lived in another city and, uh, she'd, she'd end up having to divorce my dad. He, uh, he was, I think, you know, I don't know if you know or not, or what, I can't remember what I shared with you. And, and I, I do remember you kept giving me those, um, free drink tabs after the race. So <laughs> your memory is probably a little bit better than mine. And that's a little bit unfair. Dude. Hey, that juice, baby. That juice. <laughs> uh, but, um, so yeah, you know, we, we'd grown up, um, in an abusive home and, um, always dirty. And, and the amount of, if, if I can describe what the house was like, uh, dog feces everywhere in every room, the dogs just went in the house. Um, there was holes in the walls, holes in the roof. There was a place where my dad, a dog had had, this is insane. So hopefully it's not too much for the podcast, but the, um, a dog had had puppies in the wall. All the puppies died. My dad ripped the wall apart and there was just a giant hole from the bathroom to the backyard, like holes in the house, literally. And, um, I remember being uh, at nine years old, we went in, I went to the dentist for the first time, whole mouth was covered in cavities. I had to get shots all over my mouth and get it all fixed. And I remember I'm asking how to brush uh, your teeth and for me to show them. I had no clue how to brush my teeth at nine. They had to show me I was blown away. Um, wow. Going to school, uh, every time they check for head lice, it, it was, it was just like, just standing in line, knowing everybody's looking at me and every single time I was going home every time. So the, the conditions growing up. And again, it was, that was the one thing that I did know wasn't necessarily normal. Um, it, but I wasn't, I never felt victimized. I didn't know how to feel like a victim, but super humiliating though, you know, always being that, uh, that makes sense. Just, just being the kid that knows, you know, is going to get sent home. Um, so that's kind of what it was like. And, um, and then, uh, my parents and my dad was just violent, right. Beating everybody. We, I'd run into kids that I hadn't seen in like a decade. And we used to have rock wars in the backyard and things like that. <laughs> and, uh, I'd be like, Hey man, I do remember me. And yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking we're going to talk about rock wars. And the first thing they bring up, they're like, I remember this one time you're dad drop kicked your mom in the middle of the street in front of everybody. And like, those are the memories that they have is, is drop kick and my mom, um, just violent violence. Um, and, uh, there was, um, kind of a, kind of a, well, that doesn't really matter. So, so, uh, so 12, I had, um, they, they'd gotten divorced my brother had moved out with my mom and my dad had moved in with his girlfriend and I just got left at the house and, um, there was nobody, I didn't drop out of school. I just didn't go. There was nobody to make you go to school. Nobody to, um, make you do anything. And to, to be honest, what's funny is again, looking back, it sounds terrible. You're 12 years old. You're not going to school. You're on your own. Um, but at 12 years old, man, I had a skateboard. 
and oh. I had a city and, uh, you know, I was just skateboarding around town and, and yep. living life, you know, uh, thankfully nothing bad happened, but, um, mm-hmm. but it was freedom for me and it never felt like there was anything wrong going on. And looking back at it now, you just go, no, you can't be 12 living on your own, not going to school and things like that. Yeah. So <clears throat> eventually the house got foreclosed on and uh, I ended up going and I think I was living in, I might've been living in the garage of um, my dad's girlfriend's house and uh, going to school. And that's, a, that's around the time, you know, just like any other kid, I was kind of you know, lost, you know, just a skater and no family, no nothing. Um, and, uh, there was one time I was in the lunch line at the school and, uh, earlier in the week, some kids, let me back up. Sorry about that. Um, so where we grew up in Southern California, this is in the nineties and racism was flourishing gangs and racism that was like the the uh when when all that stuff the serenios the bloods and crips all the gang activity it was it was live and um i think it's kind of simmered down since then but that's when it was booming and um, you said this was the san bernardino valley or no this is uh kern county california it's out in the desert so it's it's probably two hours from bakersfield okay. um, okay but just a little desert town where there's nothing but uh, drugs and gangs is all there was out there. So, um, and so the, the schools were split, the junior high schools and on one side of town was all the Serenios and the other side of town were like the stoners and the white supremacists. And it was pretty much split, uh, based on geography of the town. And I ended up going to the one with all the Serenios and I don't remember how I got connected, but, um, some of the, um, there was these uh, brothers that ran the white supremacist gang, or they were a pretty big name in it. And one day they came up and they gave me a marker and they told me, Hey, I want you to go around and tag up SWP everywhere, Supreme white power. And they go, they said, uh, you're white power now. And I think I should say, and I hope people know and don't take it the wrong way, but I'm absolutely not racist. I wasn't racist then. 90% of the people that are in a, in quotes, racist gang, they're yeah. just kids. They don't have a clue. Um, so hopefully if anybody does listen to this, I don't hey, get listen, beat up. Listen, I can fend for this man. <laughs> black, And we had a great conversation. I didn't feel a lick of anything. We're good, man. So after this, I can pull the whole, I've, I've got a black friend. It's okay. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. No, I just don't want to get beat up at the next race. Um <laughs> I'm the only but no, I, person, dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, you know, so, uh, but yeah, so they gave me a, a marker and I was like, oh, well, this is pretty cool. Um, you know, yeah. just feeling accepted. And so what really turned the, the page there is I kind of got into a little bit of a scuffle in a kid in the lunch line and um, he threatened to get this guy uh, Bubba on me. And this guy had been in and out of jail, real tough kid. And uh, I didn't know what to say. So I said, well, I'll get white power on you. Right. And uh, <laughs> that was it. And, and all I had was a marker, but I was feeling pretty powerful with this marker. And um, so the next day I get called into the principal's office and this kid is roughed up. 
And uh, I had no idea what happened. I didn't tell anybody what happened, but I guess somebody had overheard the conversation and he had gotten roughed up and by some white power gang and told never to mess with Mac Quinlan again. And uh, I mean, we're talking like mafia type stuff. I had no idea. And so um, I was this like, well, this is cell phones, right? This is before. This, oh, yeah, 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 it was. <laughs> you laugh about it. Yeah, we didn't have cell phones. I didn't even have a pager. I didn't have money like that. I like how you guys are laughing about this. No, this I think real. it's just funny how I'm Nick- laughing because I was a stupid comment on Nick. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just funny how news traveled, bro. It doesn't. Yeah. Even oh, yeah. Cell phones, yeah. bro. Yeah. No, we didn't. We didn't have cell phones. We we pagers were the big thing back. That's real. Like we really yeah. had pagers, but I didn't have a pager. Yeah. Um, so this guy's in the office with you. In the office, roughed up, terrified, and uh, so anyway, so I was kind of hooked, and um, I went and long story short, I went and officially got um, I got jumped into the game. We went out to a big party in the desert, which again, looking back that's one of the things that I think is kind of the scariest because I had friends uh, go missing in the desert at these parties, right. Never to be found again. And we would just recklessly go out to the desert. Nobody would know where, I don't even know where we were. And you're just with a bunch of crazy skinhead gang members and just hope you didn't rub them wrong. And, and at some of them, you'd see somebody they they'd say is a race trader or would they they'd say burn your skin you know if you did something that they didn't think was white enough they'd they'd go oh you burnt your skin kid would go out to a a a party in the desert and just get pulverized by everybody and they'd all be drunk and on drugs and just wrecking people and killing people and um really crazy looking back at it but went out and uh me and my buddy got jumped in you you had to get uh punched in the chest by somebody bigger and in the face by somebody the same size, you know, just cheesy kid stuff. And, and that was it. And I was in and, uh, um, yeah. What age, what age was that? Oh, that had to be 14, 13, 14, um, somewhere right. It might've been high 13, slow 14s. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And And and, Oh, go ahead. I was going to say what's heartbreaking about that is you, you don't know what you're doing. You're a child and you're a child who was, you weren't taken care of your, your whole life. So someone, I mean, forgive me if I'm putting words in your mouth, but what I hear you saying is you didn't have anyone taking, taking care of you your whole life. You didn't have a place that you can actually call home or a family you can call family. And it sounds like you were neglected at one point, your mom moved away and your dad moved away and you're alone in this house. Eventually you move back in with him or in the garage is what it sounds like. But essentially you didn't have anyone fending for you. You grew up learning how to fend for yourself, not realizing that's uh, what you're doing, but every child has a, a quintessential need to be defended for and to be cared for. And that need was not met to the standard that, that it should have. And so these people come and they defend you in a way you probably have never felt before you were, you were needing defending growing up and these people defended you. So it makes sense that you, that you would go there. It's not that you, I mean, I could say with Nick being here and with the relationship I see flourishing between you two, it's not that you actually felt 
white was better than black, white was better than Mexican, fill in the blank. But it was that there was someone who showed you that you were worth being defended. And so you stuck to that. No, for sure. I mean, I'd never even, I'd never even heard of racism or anything like that. I'd never even considered somebody of uh, a different color to be a uh, an enemy of any sorts or I, I never even heard of that stuff until then. That was like literally the first time um, coming across it. But but kind of like what you were saying, it was a, a little bit of a family and a little bit of a um, just protection. And, um, you know, and I was going to the Serenia school. So uh, huge gang activities there. And it was whether or not they were uh, would have messed with me or or not, um, you definitely feel vulnerable being there. And I, after that first incident, I was walking around like Conor McGregor. I was like, yeah, I'm so tough. And, uh, <laughs> and I wasn't at all, not even a little, yeah. <laughs> I felt pretty tough. Um, yeah. But That's eventually I, I ended up, um, my dad had moved to a different house. I'd moved in to the house with them and I ended up going to the other school and the other school had all the white supremacist kids and the, the, uh, stoners and, and all that crowd of people. And, mm. and then I was right at home there. So. Yeah. 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 Is that where, did you meet your wife of 27 yeah. years? Uh, 27. 27? Is it 27 or 24? You've been together 27, I think is what your bio said. Yeah. yeah. I've been, is it 27 or 20? What's 14? And I'm 32. <laughs> I'm the I same. Uh, I think it's 20. I think we just hit 28 years in August. Yeah. That's, that's and that's where I met her. I remember the first time I ever saw her, oh, which yeah. is incredible, right? Because you, you, you rarely remember the first time you saw a human being because you're going to school. Yeah. But she was, she was waltzing across the, the schoolyard and uh, she, her hair was up. It was blonde. She was wearing a black shirt. And I remember she went up to this dude, Andy Forbes, and he gave her a big hug. And I just remember thinking like, I'd never uh, been around girls or talked to girls or anything. And uh, I just remember thinking, man, I wish I could just go up to hot chicks like that and give them hugs. And uh, that was the first time I'd ever seen her. And oh gosh. Uh, I had no idea I was going to marry that chick, which is pretty cool. Because I didn't even, I didn't even probably meet her for I'm just making up stuff now, but like, yeah. I don't know, let's say six months or something. I never sure. met her. She was just a chick at school. Wow. And you guys were 14 then? Yeah, she was, she was 15 and I was 14. So hey. she was oh, great hey. ahead. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. No big deal. <laughs> you play the seniority card, seniority card on you, man. But uh, yeah, a little bit. Wow. So from that, you met someone between the ages of 14 15 years old that you mentioned that yep. um, kind of involved and got you invited into um, the church scene and uh, how did that start to kind of play a role and and instill that courage and bravery bravery in you that you needed yeah so so the Andrews were life-changing so I, I was at that different junior high and I was really getting into the whole um, white supremacist gang thing and, and getting involved quite a bit. We had huge riots at the school, so big. They were sending SWAT teams from um, two and a half hours away from Bakersfield, California to come break this stuff up. They would 
they and it was crazy looking at it now because they would divide the school up by race when they would ha- happen because the because the race issues were so prominent and wow. we would go to cultural diversity classes and um, I had been so uh, prominent in the 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 issues at the school and the riots and all that stuff. I never even got to go to a regular high school. They sent me to the bad kid high school um, without even getting to go or anything. So uh, I could do whatever I wanted. The teachers, I was so far gone, the teachers, I I hadn't passed a grade in school since the third grade. I hadn't done anything. And they, I would just walk into next grade. Nobody had thought about holding me back or it wouldn't have worked. You can't hold somebody that doesn't go to school back. So I literally was just a lost cause. And uh, I was such a lost cause that the, um, the teachers didn't care. I could, I would just walk around campus. It was kind of weird because I've always been a rule follower. I never had rules, but the few things that I felt like I was supposed to do, I would just do. So you're supposed to go to school. I would go to school and, um, I didn't do anything at school and I went around, but I never, um, I never ditched, which is weird. Yeah. I, you could kind of say I ditched cause I was never actually in class, but I would just get up and walk out of class. I never was sneaky or surreptitious about it. I would just do whatever I wanted. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, in one of my classes every morning, I would go and get a hot cocoa, two hot cocos and two donuts. And that was my ritual. And I would, instead of going to class, I'd sit outside and eat my donuts and drink my hot cocoa. So this kid, Dave Andrews, a super smart kid, uh, class clown, he was super funny, but he caught on real quick that if he used me as leverage, he didn't have to go to class either. So he would tell the teacher, hey, I got to go steer Matt Quinlan's hot cocoa for him. And so as soon as he brought up my name, teachers didn't want anything to do with that. So they're just like, yeah, go. I don't, I don't want any issues and no trouble. So he would sit outside, he'd stir my hot cocoa to cool it down for me. And uh, one thing led to another. And I, I wish I, I probably haven't talked to him fully about what he liked or saw, whatever it was, but he ended up telling his parents about me. And he was like, Hey, I know this guy, he's, he's satanic, he's into white power, but I think he's a cool guy. And his parents, they're like, Hey, stay away from that kid. We don't want you talking to him. Mm. Well, he didn't want to go to class. So he continued to stare my hot cocoa and talk to me. And, uh, and that, that alone ended up changing my life. So I, I, his, his parents ended up meeting me. His mom took me in. Like I was one of theirs. She, she treated me like I'd never been treated before. Um, she went and, uh, without asking her husband, which I think is funny, but she, she went out, she would, she bought me a pair of Nikes one time. Uh, I never, I, I never had a pair of shoes like that. I'd never had um, the closest time I'd ever come to wearing nice clothes. I was in the sixth grade or fifth or something, and I'd stayed the night at somebody's house, and they let me borrow clothes because I, I didn't know how to stay at the night at somebody's house. I would just go there. And I'd never wore nice clothes before. I, I don't know if I ever had clean clothes. And I wore this kid's clothes and I felt like I was one of them. And I wore these clothes for a week straight. I was changing the shirt, like one shirt over another. Cause it, he, it, he had a turtleneck and a long sleeve and these stupid black pants. And I wear them different every day. I'd like 
roll them at the bottom when rolling yep. pants was cool. And uh, it was kind of embarrassing because about a week into it, um, people started calling me out that I wore the same thing for a week straight. But for that week, I felt like a million bucks. But yeah. awesome. but it was fake. I was I was borrowed on um, borrowed clothes that I had to give back. But she bought me a pair of Nikes and um, yeah. just amazing. I'd never been treated like that. And um, they ended up taking me in. They let me live at their house. Uh, they treated me like I was one of theirs. And uh, her and then her husband, George, I had never met uh, just a solid male role model before. This guy was a Christian. He was a business owner. He always did the right thing. Um, I've never seen him violent or mistreat anybody. And it was my first true encounter with somebody that was just a, a strong male role model. And they were a Christian family. They got me going to church. And, uh, and that changed everything. Yeah. That's incredible, man. Yeah. That, uh, it's amazing that kindness, uh, it just starts with a tiny little, like (laughs) the stirring the hot chocolate, man, just, just a simple act of like, Hey, I'm going to be there. I'm going to spend time with you. How that led to one thing to the next. And now you find yourself with a mom figure, loving, like supporting you. And then a manly figure jumping in and just going being like, dude, like not even intimidated, like just, all right, what's up? You know, I think it's incredible, man. That's super cool. So what did that do? Like what changed, you said it changed everything. What do you expand on that if you don't mind? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, things like that will change the course of your life. If, uh, yeah, I started going to church. Um, I was dating Jennifer at the time and, um, we were, uh, not, not, not that, not to get into the weeds of right and wrong or anything, but we weren't living like the Christian life. We were young kids and, um, uh, doing everything, um, that we shouldn't do. And, um, I started going to church, um, her and I talked and we were, you know, by the time we were 15, 16, um, uh, I'm just looking up to George and, and, and having that structure in my life, having the, the rules. I love the rules and, and having clean clothes and having that just, uh, he took me in and let me clean carpets for him and work for him. And, um, it was just neat. And, and even something that he, he may not have even done on purpose, but just the progression of accomplishments, you know, where I went from holding hoses, cleaning carpets for him to getting to a point where, he would just drop me off on jobs and I was empowered and I was trusted and I could do that. And, and those natural progressions, um, they do so much for somebody and, and having, again, kind of that family, uh, uh, environment is huge and having role models is huge. Um, so I started, we, so we started going to church and, uh, Jennifer and I talked and we were like, Hey, we, uh, we want to do things right. We want to do it the, the way God wants us to do it. So we, we stopped doing anything inappropriate. And yeah. I, I don't know if you'd consider that harder or easier, but, you know, to be, you know, 15, 16 and make that decision to wait till you're married and to start doing everything right. Um, I oh. think it's pretty tough. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think that's tough for anyone, let alone kids who were already doing that. And then, sure. and yeah. then cut, cut it. That's yeah. 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 yeah and so, uh, so yeah. And, and then, uh, things kind of progressed from there and, and it all started with, uh, 
like you said, with the kids during my, my hot cocoa and, mm-hmm. uh, and my whole life changed, everything changed. Uh, it then came the part of you're still in a game, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah, uh, I was just going to ask about if you could share like that. The, that yeah. Because it's a it, moment, man. Cause it gets tricky. And so there was a guy, Jennifer told me not to mention his name because he's still on Facebook and stuff, but there was a guy okay. and he was a tough, tough guy. Yeah. And you know, I said like 99% of the people are fake, but yeah. the one percenters, they're not fake. And he wasn't this guy. Yeah. I saw him beat up his dad on his front porch. Um, I like the guy is I've seen him. Uh, there was one time they wanted me to beat a kid up because the kid burnt his skin. Right. And yeah. it sounds funny to say, cause it's, I, I realize how ridiculous it is now, but that's, that's where we were at. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, so I was like, all right. So I jumped the wall and I really didn't want to beat this kid up. He hadn't done anything to anybody. I don't think so. I, uh, I said something before I got to him and, uh, let him know that I had bad intentions. And, uh, so he, he got it and I started throwing the biggest punches ever with the intent that he would see him coming. And I didn't have to actually beat him up. He would take off running. Um, Cause by then I had a pretty big reputation built up. Um, I hadn't earned the reputation. I hadn't been in fights or anything, um, but everybody had seen me fight somehow. Um, there were stories about it. It was, it's funny to say now that people are like, man, I, I saw you do this and that, or uh, I don't remember any of it, you know? So, uh, so I had a reputation of being tough, but I really wasn't at the time. I, I was just a kid. So I started throwing these big throws and, the kids started backing up, trying to get away from me. And there was a couple big dudes that he was with and, uh, they started coming after me and all the other gang members were hiding behind a wall while I was about to get wrecked by six giants. And this one dude jumped the wall and just started swinging on everybody. He was again, just one of those people. And I kind of am almost talking to him with admiration. Um, obviously we're all screwed up kids, but that kind of courage is admirable, no matter, um, even if it's on the wrong side of the fence, it can be, um, it's, it's, especially as a kid, it was neat to see it and neat to see somebody come to your defense and know the kind of like what we're talking about. Yeah. So that guy, who's a very tough guy, he ended up going to prison for a while. And, um, I kind of laid low, stayed quiet, uh, just hung out with my girlfriend, went to church and, but I knew it was coming and I knew he was getting out of prison. And I knew this guy, uh, he, he liked me. Um, he, I was kind of one of his guys. And so I finally saw him and, um, and that was a big decision at the time because uh, there's a handshake, right? Every, you throw up the lightning bolts and uh, you know, on, I'd show you if we were in person. But um, so of course he comes up and first thing he, Hey, what's up brother. And he goes to shake my hand and I, I just give him a handshake. And I don't throw the lightning bolts. Wow. And he looked at me and I go, I'm a Christian, dude. And I thought I was done. I thought, I mean, I didn't know how far they would take it. I didn't know how far it was going to, it was going to go, but uh, I had to, I had to, I had to tell him and I had to take whatever was going to come and wow. um, nothing came, mm-hmm. nothing. He looked at me and he goes, he goes, that's cool, man. And, uh, and he said he was a Christian himself. And um, I don't know that he was, but I know that he didn't kill me, which is good, you know? Uh, and so um, that, was a, that was a big, scary moment. And um, I, don't, 
I don't know if he said anything to anybody, but I never, uh, I never got sweated by anybody. I never had anybody come after me. I never had to get jumped out. I never had any repercussions come. So I don't know if he stuck up for me or not, but, um, but I got out. Hey, wow. (laughs) And how old were you at that point? I, not that old. I don't know, 16, maybe Mm -hmm. still the same, kind of in that same, like a lot of this stuff probably happened in a a year and a half, two year period. It wasn't like a a super long part of my life. Wow. I'm amazed, dude, Matt. I like, I'm amazed at your life and your story Mm -hmm. because when I met you in Monterey, like I almost would have thought you were lying about all this, all this stuff. Like, (laughs) I've been like, dude, nah, like, get out of here, man. But to witness you as a person, the uh, inspiration that you brought to me and just how hard you race and how well you train and how much you love your family and all of these things, I just, I'm like, dude, it's incredible. It's incredible to see and hear your story and mm-hmm. witness you now yeah. in, in different races, dude. It's you know so- as weird as it, it sounds, you know, we, we always say we learn more from our failures and we have these, these catchphrases and I really appreciate them. They're good. And it's kind of funny because I remember I must've been six years old and, uh, and there were screaming and beating going on in the house. It wasn't me. It was my brother getting beat and, uh, my brother's crying, my dad's screaming. And I remember my dad screaming, um, he goes, you know, why I beat you. And he goes, cause my dad beat me and just continued beating. And at six years old, I remember I was thinking that doesn't make any sense. Mm. Why don't you stop? Right. And it's such a simple thing to think, yeah. but I remember, I just remembered at six years old, I, I had decided right then, nobody in my family was going to get hands put on, them. you know, not my kids, not my wife. Um, and my whole life since then, it's kind of weird because I, I always, it sounds negative, but it's, it's the way that things have worked for me, but I always look at what I don't like, whether it's in leaders or things like that. If I see a leader that's clickish, I don't like it. If I see a leader that's, you know, overbearing and dominant or, or whatever the situation is, I take those things and I may not know exactly what I want to be, but I know what I don't want to be. And I think it started at six years old when when my dad said that and I was like well that's what I don't want to be mm-hmm. I will never treat my family like that mm-hmm. and so I've done that ever since um in the military if I saw a leader that was doing something wrong now um I, and I don't know if I'm taking up too much time oh, uh, you're good, you're good. there was a uh I got I don't even know the guy's name but uh I'd gone through you have good leaders and bad leaders and and I do have to say that that I was impacted by this one guy. Um, we had, I was a military cop in the- I was about to say, fast forward now. Yeah. You've served 20 years. 21 years. 21 years. Wow. Don't don't take that year from me. That, yeah, that was hard. Right. You've earned <laughs> so, that extra year. So Matt served in the military for 21 years, just to get that clear. Amazing. And he's now- Did you join at 18? So, yeah. Uh, and I got to say, this is kind of, this is kind of cool. So I had, I literally have a third grade education. I told you I never went to school. I never did school from yeah. third grade on. So when I went to, I, 
Jennifer had gone off to join, to uh, go to college in Wisconsin. That's where her family was at because her dad was military. So they had taken off and she took off and then I had to go play catch up. So as soon as I turned, uh, I don't know why I waited till, till 18 because I was living on my own at 16 in Vegas. And it, I think just because it was Wisconsin and I was so far removed from everything. Yeah, I waited till 18. I met her down there. We moved back to Ridgecrest because we we really thought, you know, the grass was always greener on the other side. And we were like, Ridgecrest was so fun. And we moved back there and we realized, no, this drugged out desert town is not fun. <laughs> so we, we moved back to Ridgecrest. And after a few months, uh, Jennifer's like, hey, why don't you join the military? I didn't know anything about the military, nothing. And so I was like, okay, well, I need a high school diploma. So I went to adult school. They make you take a placement test and cut your credits in half. And so you literally can graduate high school doing um, like I was doing at, like long division, I think is the highest math I ever had to do. Yeah. And but the problem is in California, it, I think it was called the heart test at the time that you had to take. And there's no way that I could pass that test. And this wouldn't fly now. Uh, I don't think this stuff exists anymore. But the teacher, she saw potential in me. And she, um, she sat there, she didn't cheat, but like on all the math questions, as I'd go through the math questions, she would, she would develop another one right next to me, different numbers, but identical sequences and work me through each problem. So basically she cheated for me. So, (laughs) dude, uh, but it got me in the military and I think she, um, and I've had a, I've had a slew of opportunities like that when I went to go to college. It was the same thing. Um, I couldn't pass a single in nothing. I didn't know what an adjective was or a noun, or I don't even really know now. <laughs> and I, I, I truly don't. And uh, yeah. I, went, I went to go to college and couldn't get in. I, I, they had me doing like three years of back work before I could go to college. And so I went to the dean of the college in Georgia. Uh, he was my only other black friend I have was the dean. And uh, just kidding. Um, I didn't know but I was in Georgia and, and I, I told the guys like, Hey, I said, look, uh, I was like, if, uh, if you make me take these, I'm just not going to do it. There's no way I'm going to do three years of, of college just so I can do college. I was like, but if you waive these, I promise I will never fail a test or a class. And the guy looked at me and he's like, I believe in you, man. They're waived, which I didn't even know you could do that. And he waived everything. Once you're in college, you're in, and I got to go to college. Um, on a third grade education. Yeah. Your life is, is unreal. <laughs> I love your story so much. Know, dude. That's amazing. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, no you, you really didn't. I, it's just funny because I, I, I kept getting these, like, I kept getting super lucky with teachers or deans or different things that would like, I'd get, I'd slip in under the radar somehow and, and maybe get some opportunities that not everybody has, but one thing that I, I try to teach my kids um, is no doesn't always mean no. You, you know, like I've gotten, um, you, you saw the part about the, the, did you see the part about my beard in the military? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I wanted to ask what that meant. Well, so uh, no Christian has ever been uh, allowed to wear a beard in the military. And so other religions can um, oh. see Hebrews, oh. Muslims. I get it. And, and Christians couldn't. And, um, and I was told no pretty harshly by a lot of people. And, uh, 
And did you already have this or you wanted to grow it? I, I want it. I didn't, I didn't just go rogue and grow it, but you have to get, you'll get kicked out or, you know, yeah. but, but I didn't take no for an answer. And um, I believe I, the, to the best of my knowledge, I'm the first Christian to wear a beard. Now there's another one. So I got another guy, um, another Christian with facial hair. And, um, and so, uh, yeah, I just don't like taking uh, no for an answer, but I've learned that, that, without being disrespectful or over, you know, pressing your, your boundaries. Um, don't take no for an answer. Don't do it when you're going for a job interview. Don't do it when somebody tells you, you can't, uh, I was told not disrespectfully, but I was told not to even bother trying to, um, make the Spartan pro team that I was nowhere near fast enough. You know, I wouldn't even a blip on the radar in elite and, um, and not to even bother. And it wasn't, it wasn't meant as a, a um, a dis- it was just an honest evaluation of where I was when I was sharing a goal that I wanted to make the, the pro team. And, um, but I'm not going to take no for an answer. I'm, you know, so right yeah. there with you, man. Yeah. So, so, so I joined, so the yeah. teacher helped me join the military. Um, I got in barely, uh, I, I scored the lowest you can score on the ASVAB, uh, but I made it. And once I started learning how to learn, I guess, if that's the, so my dad and my brother are both geniuses, like actual geniuses. They're brilliant human beings. And I just always feel like that, that, but like I never watched Star Trek or played video games or did, they had the old Macintosh computers. I mean, they're very smart human beings. Um, and, uh, I rode a skateboard. That's what I did. And, um, so, but once I started learning how to learn, um, I, I got good at memorizing things and I kind of, uh, I kind of found my niche in the military a little bit. And um, yeah. where was I going with that? What, well, what, I interrupted you just to bring everyone up to speed on how long you've served, but oh yeah, yeah. Uh, a story about a uh, person that didn't. Rub oh, rub you. oh yeah. man, I was all over the place. No, I, I brought you there, dude. No worries. The solid leaders, solid leaders. So I, so I joined the military. I did three years doing nuclear security in uh, Cheyenne, Wyoming, we guarded the Peacekeeper missile, which is the most powerful ICBM force known to man, the most powerful weapon in the world. And so I did that for three years. Then I got into the 820th, which was a first in combat unit. And in the Air Force, a cop is, a, a cop can be law enforcement, infantry, or security. So whatever base you're at or duty station you go to, you'll fill whatever role um, you fall into. So first one was security. The second one was infantry. So it's the first in combat unit. We had something crazy, like an $8 million a year budget. We could do whatever we wanted, um, but we would just deploy and then come back and train just like being a kid, like run around the swamps in Georgia. And um, as I was getting out active duty, uh, I went to work law enforcement on base because I wasn't going to gear up for the next deployment. So there was no reason for me to be um, with that unit. So I went and worked with the unit on base. We had these patrol vehicles that um, would shut off these. I don't know. They had to have been 2004 Impalas, but you would shut them off. And if you'd go to start them, sometimes they wouldn't start. So we had uh, an alarm on a building. And we'd go set up a 360 on the building, do a walk around. I didn't want to shut my vehicle off in the middle of the road because I was afraid I'd come out to a vehicle that wouldn't start. And then we'd have a slew of problems. So I left my vehicle running. 
did my walk around, came back out, and my my cop car is gone. Somebody stole my cop car. And uh, I was like, oh, on base. No. On base. Oh, and yeah. I was like, oh, no. I mean, that's, I, that's real bad, real bad if you're a cop and your cop car is gone. So uh, I, I call over my radio to have the other patrol pick me up. And when I call over, I hear Tiger 1 and Tiger 2 come over the radio, which is our commander and chief, the two highest ranking people on our squadron. They come over the radio and they say, let whatever patrol left his vehicle run and know that it's at the front gate and they can come get it from us. So, and they said that over the net. So I'm in deep, deep trouble. And so I jump in this other patrol car. He's taking me up to the front gate. And as I'm walking up and I'm just ready to, I'm ready, right? I'm in big trouble. I'm walking up and I'm probably 20, 30 feet from them. And they go, is this your car, Sergeant? And they're yelling at me. I go, yes, that's my car. And right when they start digging into me from probably 30 feet behind me, I hear, hey, hey, no, 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 no. My flight chief yelling, and he's only one pay grade above me. So I'm an E5, he's an E6. He's talking to an E9 and an O6. An O6 is, you know, in the, yeah, Yeah. that's a big deal. He's, He's yelling at an E9 and an O6. And he goes, no, 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 no. He goes, I told him to leave his vehicle. You don't talk to him. You talk to me. I'm the flight chief. He goes, Sergeant Quinlan, the black guy, my, my third black friend that I have. <laughs> he goes, uh, he goes, Sergeant Quinlan, he goes, get in your vehicle, go patrol. You're good. I go, Sergeant, he goes, Quinlan, you're good. He, and he looked back at them. He goes, you can talk to me. I had never seen leadership like that in the military. Wow. Never. And he never, never said, hey, I saved your tail. Never, nothing. And he didn't tell me to leave that vehicle running. But he knew the vehicle sucked and I never heard anything. And I'd never seen somebody one pay grade above you put his neck on the line and stick up for you to leadership like that. So yeah. it hasn't all been negative. But when I saw that, wow. I was I've spent I've done some extremely gutsy things in my career to stick up for troops since then. But it was all based on what he did for me. And I told everybody I will put my career on the line if it means doing the right thing for a troop. Yeah. So I learned from that guy as well. Incredible. We're hoping that some of the people listening to this series right now have been through or are going through or know someone that's gone through something really tough like this. Life altering things that, you know, whether it be like a traumatic moment or a traumatic decision that would have been made, like how would you encourage people that they can make it through that season? What do you, what are the, like, what do you, if you met, if you met you at 14 years old, what would you like what what pieces of advice do you give people uh that are in you know what's what's it's such a tough question and it and it sucks because i don't i i look at my brother and his life didn't turn out the same yeah what what affected me in in one way affected him in another way and um I, i mean you i can tell you what like like at six years old like i said I, I made a decision then that things were going to change, but I don't know. And I know this isn't what you were looking for. And it kind of sucks because I wish I had a no, super. No, this is great. It's just, uh, I, I don't know what the answer is. And I know I wouldn't change a thing in my life. I would not change anything. Mm. Everything has helped me grow in one way or another. Um, and I think everybody has the ability to let 
life help them grow, but it's a personal choice. And I just don't know that it's, it's like, uh, we were going through LA, we were on the way to a Spartan race and it was a super teachable moment for our kids. Cause it was like 10 miles and an hour drive. And we were going straight through the ghetto in LA and we're going by these apartment complex run down little kids in diapers on the streets. And my kids had never seen anything like that. And um, I told my kids, I go, you know, you guys, you guys live in a bougie house. We own a business. You guys are going to college. You'll never want for anything. And I said, they only see that on TV. They don't know it's real. And I do believe every one of those kids has the opportunity um, to do anything like everybody does. But being able to see those opportunities is a whole nother ballgame. If I never saw George and Colleen, and, and when you look at the impact that one family can have on somebody, look at me now. I'm 42. I'm retired. And I owned a carpet cleaning business. And it's like almost like statistically speaking, you can run down middle class families and, you know, how kids evolve through there. Um, a great book is um, Outliers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you've read it, but there's a little stint in there. They, they, they'd found the like the thousand smartest kids in the United States and followed them their whole lives. And it ended up um, like for those kids, they thought they had all the Nobel Prize winners and judges and surgeons. And a lot of them were. And a lot of them worked at gas stations and it was, um, it was family and income based. And when you, when you look at it, when you look at the one family that took me in that, like I said, that changed the direct trajectory of of my life. We were Christians. We go to church, same thing. We own the business that all changed everything for me. And so it's, it's really tough. Um, I was able to see it and because I could see it. Yeah. Uh, it, it was doable for me. And what that did is it made me ignorant to not being able to do anything. So, you know, even when I'm training, I had some people jump in on training with me and they, they were, they were like, we didn't know you could run up mountains like that. And I'm not even a great mountain runner, but, uh, but I was just too ignorant to know that I couldn't do it. And I think, um, I think there's some value in that is just, uh, having some self-worth and belief and, where you find that could be anywhere, but everybody's going to be so different. I don't think there's a cookie cutter answer. I think everybody's path is going to be so unique. And um, it truly breaks my heart because I see people broken by situations that, that other people flourish out of. And I don't think it, it, it makes one individual better than another. I don't know what that secret ingredient is, but um, I know everything that, that looking back again, I, I, I don't want it to sound like I was a victim in any way. I never even thought I had a hard life until looking back and I just go, man, that there was some, <laughs> some, and we're just scratching the surface, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Right, right. but, uh, but, but not everybody comes out like that. And I don't, and I don't know what the answer is, but some I do people, know. Some people have it. Some people have it even better than that. And they don't come out. Some people have it like 10 times better. Yeah. It's, it's tough. One thing out of the 10. That, but what I will say is maybe yeah. from the opposite direction, you know, which, which may not be where you were kind of trying to drive this. And I apologize if I'm no, taking it the wrong way, but uh, all of us where we're at now, 
we have the opportunity to, to be the Andrews for other people, right? Mm -hmm. So whether or not I have the answer of, of, of how it all worked out or why I got so fortunate with the deans and the teachers and the family taking me in and just, uh, just a, an array of events that that led me where I'm at, where we're at now, not everybody, because there's probably people listening to this that might be in that struggle bus, and that's fine. Be in your struggle bus and get out of it. But when you do, um, don't be greedy with that. You know, if you have an opportunity to help people, by all means, help people, build people up. Um, if you're financially able to help people, do it. You know, because you never know when you're going to change one little thing could change somebody's entire life. Yeah, we from so believe in that, man. Yeah. That's awesome. Dude, it's it's evident in your life um just hearing all that you say uh that just the passion and the discipline that you bring to um the sport. Uh I I look forward to when we tell the line again because I know that you you take it seriously. Some people, I mean, even some of the top guys, they're in great shape and stuff, but it's like they're, they, they, they got it already, but you and I, man, we're like, I'm we're hungry. I, I'm yeah. trying to get on the pro team just as much as you right now, man. Yeah. And so I know that, uh, everything counts and, um, let happens. me ask you this. Yes. Had, had the, uh, helix gone different, you think you could have beat me to that finish line? Oh man. Come on. I mean, let's be real for a second. Let's like, I don't think you were running your hardest. Okay. So get to give people the story. We, we did the super the first day and I think I came in like two or three positions before you in that one. And then the next day we turn around and do the 5k, which is the sprint. And I was ahead. I honestly, I was like, okay, I, I've broken off the group. I'm in first place. Woohoo! Like I'm running, I'm cruising. And then I'll nowhere. I hear Matt and I'm like, dude, I haven't heard anyone the whole entire race. I was pretty frustrated for like probably like 30 seconds. I was like, how is someone going to catch me at the end of the race? <laughs> and we were together for probably like at least a mile. No, yeah, yeah, probably about a yeah. mile. No, it was about a mile. It was about the that really long downhill section. Mm-hmm. Because I think you started really reeling me back. And I was like, I, I even stopped to tie my shoe on that downhill section, too. Oh, yeah. You went to the restroom. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, so we end up neck and neck the last three minutes of the race. We're literally doing obstacles all together. He pops off of an obstacle before me and we get to the helix, which is the very last obstacle, about 30 feet away from the finish line. And I'm like, I have to send it. Otherwise, he's going to beat me. And I just started like anything I could do to get off of this obstacle before him. And I go for my last step to get what I need to hit the bell. And my foot slips and hits the ground. It's on Instagram. You can look at the video. But and then it's a sprint, 30, 30 foot sprint to the finish line. And if I would have hit that bell, it probably would have been the exact same time. Exactly. Which I think that you weren't sprinting as hard you popped off and ran really hard but then you looked and realized and you're like ah oh yeah yeah as i looked back and i saw uh, and i was like oh man um, yeah. i didn't know what happened but i i saw you going to the burpee pit and i was like oh yep yeah. oh my dude i would have tackled you bro i would have smoked you i would have dude i would have you like, couldn't catch me i would have <laughs> grabbed you by the ankles man all, now all I, here's what i want all your <laughs> listeners to, to know yeah. is how stand up of a guy you were because we 
I had gone the day before. Oh. And <laughs> no, this is real. And, and, and uh, bro, so I'd gone the day before. <laughs> and those turquoise were absolutely, I don't know, I don't want to beat up on Spartan <laughs> or anything, but they were not. They were, they were the heaviest turquoise. <laughs> I saw 200 pound dudes that couldn't get the turquoise up. And I, I got it the first day, but I thought there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong. So while my wife was racing, I'd gone back and I was talking to the officials and I was like, can I pull on these to find, <laughs> to find out what's wrong with them? And they had to have been the one side was double the weight of the the other one I could do with one arm I kid you not I, I I was chucking it down and telling the official I was like these are not right you guys like and you're you're like it messes with people's races right like yeah. it, it was it was so far out of whack I'd never seen a turquoise like that so yeah. we had talked about it and I told you where the light turquoise was and where the heavy ones were and I said now that I've given you this information, if by some chance we show up at the, at same, the same time, time, you can't take my turquoise. Lo and, and behold. you, gentlemen's agreement, we ran right up to it. You I, looked was, at the, I was maybe like 10 feet ahead of you. Right. Yep. And you, gave, you. and you gave me the light one. And there is no way, there's no way that that, that thing that you ho hoisted up didn't affect your race. I, I had the lightest that like it felt like I was uh, pulling up kittens and you were pulling up shoulders like and so I have to say like I I don't know I I I, I was blown away that you actually gave me the light one and um what a stand up guy I thought hey, man what what a solid dude hey man and, and I do think for the record I think you might have beat me on that sprint because when we came off those ropes and I ran I came off the ropes twenty feet ahead of you and you had caught me on the helix. I don't know how. Yeah. yeah. If you watch the video, I dropped from the rope and I was probably 20 feet ahead. Mm -hmm. And somehow when we got to the helix, we were nose and nose. So mm -hmm. I feel like you were pushing with some extra steam there. And <laughs> we, we don't know until the next race, though. Hey, we don't know, man. And after seeing you get podium with Killian and uh, who else was it? Josh, Josh Fry. Yeah, that, uh, that made you made me a little nervous, man. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. Dude. I, I, I've I been doing pretty Quinlan good. I, Moultrie, I, the Quinlan Moultrie battle is. Uh, <laughs> There's no good. battle. I want you to win. <laughs> Listen, I want you to win, too, though. We both need to win. Okay? He's going to accidentally, quote unquote, fall off the helix next time. Every time <laughs> we're going to be neck and neck and he's going to flop every dude. I'd feel so bad. No, I'm not going to fall off because I would have been in second place if I would have slowed down an extra three seconds. So, so that's something down, I got, instead of getting second, I got third place. So that's something that, uh, like on this last race I was running and I don't, I don't, I don't think that I could have run him down, but I had more left in the tank on the second day in Seattle, but I want to make the pro team. And, uh, I was close enough. I was talking smack to Josh Fry the whole time. I was like, Hey bro, you better pick it up, dude. I was like, my legs are fresh. And, uh, so I was close enough to talk smack, but, um, but I didn't, uh, I feel like I have a little bit left in the tank, but I was like, do I, do I try to get stupid and see if I can catch a legend or do I, do I pass this obstacle and take third place? And so, um, but I told Jennifer, I was like, if I got two more podiums and I'll, I'll make the pro team. And I told her that as soon as I get those, I'm going to full send some races and see if I can hold up. I'm, I'm interested to see if I can just throw caution to the wind 
And I'm either going to flop or I'm going to be really fast. And I'm not sure which one's going to happen. <laughs> so okay. we're going to something you have to keep in mind is it's not just podiums, but it also has to be 95%. Oh yes, ma'am. Yep. Okay, mm -hmm. good. Yeah. 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 I'm tracking Nick that. has a couple of podiums, not to throw you under the bus. Oh, you didn't make the 95? Podiums that well, the don't. first day in Monterey, I got third, but it doesn't matter because Digger Lauder beat us all by like four minutes. You know what I mean? So it didn't count. No, that one didn't count. Oh, the day, I think the second day counted, but. Uh, San Diego counted, right? San Diego counted. You were at San Diego, bro. Yeah. Uh? I was like in last place. <laughs> well, it, so I, I had taken off in San Diego. I, I keep listening to podcasts and it's a mistake. So I'm, I'm listening to the running public and I know they know what they're talking about, but I take, I, 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 they're not coaching me. I'm just listening to their podcast and they're like, you can't win a race in the first 10 minutes. And I'm like, all right, all right. So I'm going to, in San Diego, I'm going to come out stupid easy and I'm just going to run everybody down. So my wife's got a video. There's like 20 of us. I'm in last place jogging, right? Um, <laughs> and every time my legs started to burn a little bit, I was like, okay, that, that'll be my indicator. I'll just slow down. So we're probably halfway through the race and I'm wanting to run hard and pick up a little bit. And this guy's pushing me pretty good. And I'm like, I just, maybe I'm, I don't, maybe I'm, maybe I'm weak-minded. I don't know, but, but I, I didn't want to push super hard for seventh place. There's no reason for that. Nobody. Right. I'm like, no, I I'm, I'm not going to make myself want to throw up so I can be like, I was seventh place <laughs> and uh, not, and no offense for people that, 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 because for me for a long time, top 10 was like that, that was a big deal. So I don't mean to insult everybody. It's just my level of push. Uh, just it, I was good with seven, you know, I'm not going to push super hard for, you know, so anyways, uh, I come across the finish line in, um, fourth place and I could see the third place guy in front. I had no idea I was in fourth place. No clue. Cause I'd started so far back. I didn't yep. know where I was. Had I had taken off with the crew and ran with the head pack. Oh boy. You might have been another podium short, man. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I just can't. I don't know if I would have been. I don't know if I would have been that fast, but I'm I'm pretty confident if I had have run hard from the start, I, I think I would have made a podium that that time if I could work my way from last place to, to four. Brown, not Brown, dude, he took he took your third spot. Is that the third place kid? I yeah. think that was his very first elite podium ever. Oh, good. Well, what a stud, but I, yeah. I learned at that race. Had I, more told, sense, but... I told Jennifer, I was like, that's never going to happen again. I was like this, this not winning in the first 10 minutes. So in Seattle, I, I, I got there and I know Seattle's always got good competition. I got 10th place last year and I was, I was already expecting like studs to show up. I know Josh Fry is always there and he's a savage. And I show up, I start warming up and I see Robert killing. Yep. Come on, dude. Like really? And so on the starting line, I, I just decided, I was like, well, dude, I didn't come here for seventh place. Nope. I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm not going to hold back. Yeah. What's the point of holding back in seventh and landing seventh? I was like, I'm just going to run as hard as I can stay up with these guys. And if I blow up, I blow up. I, but I, I came for a podium. Yeah. And so I did. And I hung with those guys for a long time. Um, they, on the first day on the beast, they ended up pulling me in the mountains. Um, 
and they got a couple minutes on me the second day. Uh, I was still ahead. I was beating Robert Killian a couple miles in. He was trying to catch me, and that felt pretty cool. And he did, and he passed me because he's a beast. Yep. But uh, yeah, but I kind of had that mindset. Yeah, I was like, I didn't, I didn't, I'm not coming for second place. You know, yeah. I've got goals to do, and so there's no reason to hang back. Um, I'm gonna run as hard as I can and hope I can hang on. I don't like wasting time, man. And like, so when it comes to these races and like it takes a lot of time and money to get there and we're working out, we're training, we're doing 40 to 60 miles a week of running. And so it's like, I'm just as qualified as anyone at the starting line to be up there. And so I'm going to give it my all. And um, you have to really psych yourself out at the beginning of those, you know, you really have to like the, the stadium that I did, Spartan stadium down here in um, LA uh, dude. I knew that if I didn't burn like three matches at the beginning of that race, I was going to get stuffed behind everyone and just have to settle. And I just, I just took off and stayed in first place because it all bottlenecked. And then you're running through. Yeah. The, I don't know if you've done a stadium. I haven't. Yeah. If don't ever let the group get out in front of you in those races. And I just used that as my strategy. And I was, ended up being in first place for like, probably the half of the race and then at the end I just couldn't I had not gotten enough uh base in for endurance and so yeah uh yeah so I kind of fell off at the end and ended up in fourth place I was so bummed uh, guy beat me in the last like three quarters of a mile it was like the last section was literally in the parking lot flat and then just switch backs in the parking and you, lot and you think you, you didn't get enough base training in Nah, I, don't, I wouldn't say. I was like, I think we had just gotten back from. I think we were yeah. traveling a lot. Yeah, right before Pennsylvania that. and stuff like that. So I, I'd gotten it's like 25 funny. miles and like now I've been, I've been it's at. Injury. You've been getting a lot of injuries. Know, this year. Stupid, stupid little ones. That stupid. age, man. Dude. I know. <laughs> just kidding. Oh no, there's hey, something. Oh my gosh! Oh, you look good, man. His cul-de-sac uh, <laughs> haircut for everyone who can't see. Dude, well, Matt, man, I dude, you, I see you as a brother. I see you as a friend. I see you as an inspiration. Um, I honestly, like, I think about people out there doing it, and you and I are in the same wagon. Like, we're we're out here hustling. We want to tear up all those elite guys. We want to like rip the carpet out. <laughs> rip. We want to be disruptors. Is what we want to do. And so I'm out there. If you're out there, I'm out there, bro. We're linking up. We're going after it, man. So, uh, yeah, dude. Um, thanks so much for being so honest yeah. and, and sharing life. Um, yeah, for those listening, if you're still listening, um, you know, share this with someone who you think it would be helpful for. And uh, I, I do want to say this. If you run into Matt at a race, he's very easy to find. Just look for a huge white beard and and lots of tattoos and yeah. lots of tattoos. He's yet it, baby. <laughs> and uh, go talk to him, dude. He is uh, he's not as scary as he looks. Uh, trust me, he's not really he's scary. He's not at as all. old as he looks either. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> and I'm not inspiring, so we can stop that madness right now. Oh, oh come on. <laughs> so are okay. you white beard and you're getting podium inspiring. And you're 42, bro. You're like you're like nine years older than me, dude. Dude, uh, I, I don't feel old either. Like I hear them at, like everybody's giving credit to like what Woodsy was saying, his post. And oh, I wanna there's something yeah, cool. you know, like if you if you took age out of it. And you ran down everything that he said, hey, I've been focused on my business. I've got a few extra pounds, I, yada, yada, yada. And then you couple right. that 
take age out of it, but the dude's been racing competitively for 20 something years. Yeah. yeah. That's a recipe to not be at your hundred percent or to lose interest. And oh. everybody wants to give weight to the age. I don't think Woodsy's old. I think if he, I, 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 hopefully this didn't take the wrong way, but I think that if he just had a fire lit and he wasn't focused on a business and he, and he I, I think he'd, and if you took out the crazy outliers, take Ryan Shadag, if I said it right, and Ryan, yeah. Ryan Shadag, and you take um, hot call, hot call out, he would have been like right, like you take out the the weirdos, right? They just came <laughs> yeah. out of nowhere, and then you put him two places behind um, uh, Ryan Atkins, he would have been on the podium. Yeah, yeah. his performance really wasn't all that bad, but. Uh, but yeah. if you got a lot on your plate, I even when I'm building a hot rod, if I'm trying to figure out something on my hot rod, I notice my workout's not the same the next day because yeah. I'm distracted. And well, so, right, um, you know what? I was on my run the other day. I was thinking about this. Um, you know, you just mentioned that he's got all these different priorities happening in life right now. There's some guys that win these podium in these races or that are elite or professional athletes that are full time athletes. Full time means that they're doing that's full-time like i i can put in about a two-hour block a day of working out which uh, ends up being 10 hours a week 40 hours a month there's some guys that put in four hours a day well you know you know what's weird too though is and it's not just the time either it's it's also what comes along with just being in that that bubble of life where you have to deal with everything because like where you've got kids going to school and you've got a podcast you're doing and you've got a detailed thing that you're running, those all, uh, I shouldn't call them distractions because those are truly blessings, but they will pull you. Like I said, I, I, I'm retired. I don't, I can do this as many hours a day as I choose to. Um, what's funny is I've found that about an hour and a half a day is I, like I perform better doing less. And I did the, I did all the stuff this winter. I mean, hours a day and hikes and all the stuff that everybody says they do. And my performance got a lot worse. And so I've cut down all the extra stuff and I'm down to just running. Uh, I picked up a running coach and she's got me doing track work, which is uh, definitely um, increased my speed. But I noticed I was just a slow grinder coming out of it. And, um, but, but, but to your, to anybody's credit that's trying to do this with, even if you have the time and I, and I ran into this with cage fighting, I wanted to go pro cage fighting, even though I had time to train and I still train, I owned a business. I was full-time military. And when I was sitting at the table with my family, I wasn't at the table with my family. And so those distractions come in. It's not just the availability to work out. It's everything else weighing in. And like Ryan Woods, he's, he has a business to take care of. He's proven himself for so long. All of those things. Um, if you didn't even know what his age were and he just listed everything out, you'd be like, yeah, dude, you've, you've got a, you got a lot on your plate. And so I don't think it's age. I'm not buying it yet. Um, I'm still, I'm a young pup. I'm 43. I'm going to make the protein. I want to be the oldest. I don't know if this is real or not. Uh, maybe Jack Bauer can answer, but the oldest person to make the pro team because yeah. I know there's some studs like Glenn, Glenn uh, Rakes. I messed Glenn up. Glenn Rakes. 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 
um, Matt Rock, uh, Ryan Woods, like all those dudes are floating in their forties and they're savages, yep. mm-hmm. but I don't know. They've all, they've all been around for a long time. I don't know what the oldest is to like walk onto the scene and make it. Don't forget me. Um, Faye Morgan. Oh yeah. <laughs> and you got, uh, she got to stand up for the ladies. Got to stand up for the Rose Wetzel. Oh yeah. Oh, oh they're just. He's not killing on the protein too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> moms. Now women are tougher though. They don't count. We like, they're just, because be, just because they are, they just got that like woman strength, you know, they're, they're, I see that. Guys, we just get, it's like getting sick, right? Like we get yeah. sick, we're, we're done. You guys get sick and you're still holding the house down, you know? Um, it's true. That's actually, yeah. it, is, it is. Oh, it's totally true. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we tap out quick. <laughs> oh my gosh. Ladies are definitely, I think God designed you guys uh, for reals. Like you, you've got a, a, a different style of toughness that, um, uh, yeah, that I think it's God given. And I think you guys are beasts yeah. in a good way. She's awesome. I like She's that. Been Thank you. An incredible co-partner in this woven athlete endeavor. So yeah, man. Well, dude, I I had a great time. I'm so excited to see you. Where what's next for Matt Quinlan and his racing endeavors? I got nine races this year that I have planned. So I've got Portland, uh, is it San Jose? Um, all the California ones left. Um, California is my side, bro. Right? I, yeah, but I'm right here. Like I didn't realize how close you are, man. <laughs> you're you're just around the corner, man. And I've got goals. Listen, as soon as I like I said, if I if I I might back off if I hit the bro team, then uh, I'll just pick and choose. So hopefully, I do well in Portland, um, and I'm doing Arizona too. Which I mean, you have to go down there for the hikes and the scenery and stuff like that. Yeah. So I'll be at I'll be at some of those. So I can't wait, man. It's gonna be it's gonna be good. Yes, sir. Hey. Uh, it was an honor. Um, I, I look at some of the people that have been on your podcast and, um, man, uh, I mean, what a, I, I'm just grateful that you reached out and even, I, it's kind of cool getting to share the story and, um, and I hope it does well, but I, uh, I can't tell you, you guys are really neat people. You've been neat since, since I met you and, uh, thanks for, I don't know, give me a chance to come on your podcast. What a, what an honor. I appreciate yeah, it. Honors ours, Matt. I mean, just like, we just really, really appreciate you coming on and being willing to be vulnerable and share your story. I know we joke about just the the race stuff, and but it, it could be uncomfortable to share that, especially in a time of life where that's so um, kind of high focused right now or such a sensitive topic. But I think it's really um, just brave and really honorable that you can come on and share your story and how that's not who you are and how the cool dynamics of you sitting here as a white man talking with a black man and having a good brotherhood between the two of you. And it's just really cool to share and just your vulnerability about your childhood. I know you say you didn't realize that it wasn't normal, but you still have to be able to be willing to share those stories. So really, it's been a really good conversation. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you guys. All right, dude. Well, Hey, we'll uh, we'll stay in touch. I'll see you at a race really soon. You better be ready, man. Oh, <laughs> I'm coming, bro. I'm coming. Don't don't you worry. Nice chatting with you, brother. Yes, sir.